This message by Terry Virgo was recorded at the New Frontiers Together on a Mission Conference 2010 in Brighton. Ephesians, please, and chapter 6. On these three afternoons, I'm going to be looking into this chapter with you. I'm going to read the passage now, and then we'll get down to it. Okay, Ephesians and chapter 6. In previous occasions here, we've looked at Ephesians chapters uh, 2, 3, and 4. On two different occasions, we spent quite a long time on Ephesians 4. There was a time when my Bible kind of fell open at Ephesians 4, I think, some years ago, because of its preoccupation with the church, the place of ministry gifts, which was so uh, filling our minds in those days. But I found myself being drawn to this chapter quite strongly, uh, one through prophetic word that came at our British prayer and fasting days, uh, which actually Guy Miller brought on that occasion. It just stirred me at the time, and I found myself drawn more and more into this chapter, and we'll be looking at it, as I say, through these uh, three afternoons. So I'll start reading at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Father, we realize that we live in a different day. We're not strapped to soldiers lying in prison. We thank you for the freedoms we enjoy because this gospel reached these shores and the many nations we represent here. We thank you for the fortitude of your servant Paul. We thank you even more for the Holy Spirit who came breathing energy and strength and clarity of vision into his heart. And Father, we ask you right now, according to your promise that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We ask you right now, Father, for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, energizing, fortifying, informing, shaping us up. We ask, come and be our teacher, please. Mighty Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I was hinting, I guess Ephesians has often been, for me, a very popular epistle. I've loved it. Its focus on the church attracts me. It's clarity about the gospel, that we were far off, we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive, brought us right into his household, into his very temple. I love its clarity about the gospel. I guess I've not been so drawn as of late into this sixth chapter. And it could be argued that the whole book is building up to this sixth chapter, that everything's preparing us for warfare, as indeed Guy's uh, prophetic poem was saying to us, we're being caught up 
in what God has for us. Here in this epistle, certainly we can see that the new age has begun. We can see the new man has been created. The temple is being built. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed. The body of Christ is growing. Uh, but all this not in the world of kind of academic research, but against the backdrop of hostility, conflict, battle. And as I say, Paul's writing the very epistle from prison. He's a warrior writing. He's not just an academic. He's expressing things that will fortify those that he's writing to. He's giving real meaning to all that's gone before. Everything that goes before takes on new meaning in the context of it being in the hands of warriors. And these great truths come alive, actually, in the setting of conflict. So, yes, the book finishes up more like a, a fighting manual. Put on armor. Get ready for the battle that's ahead. The world is still powerful to either enforce conformity, as was the case when Paul was writing, as Caesar ruled with an iron fist, and that's true in many a nation today, where the world enforces conformity or in the free West seduces into conformity to be like others. It's a strange business that the world comes from both angles, sometimes with an iron fist, sometimes with a delicate invitation. It wants to shape your thinking. The flesh, yeah, you can be lazy, you can be lustful, you can be legalistic. All of these are manifestations of the flesh. We're fighting with the world, the flesh, and the Bible makes it very clear the devil is still a roaring lion seeking some to devour. We are in a conflict situation. We need to know it. We appreciate it. We praise it. And this is here for us to help us in the battle. And so we get this word, be strong. I want to start really with this phrase. We'll get into some of the armor later in the week and other aspects of this passage. But first of all, it starts with be strong. And I think another thing that's drawn me into this passage is that be strong is a kind of transition word. It's fascinating that when Moses is preparing Joshua and handing over to that next generation, the word that's repeated again and again to Joshua is, Joshua, you're going to have to be strong. You must be strong. Get strong and courageous. That's the word from Moses. What does he know about it? Well, Moses has been through a few experiences. He's led two million people through the wilderness. He's confronted Pharaoh. He's seen a people turn against him. Even his own sister saying, who do you think you are? Be turning leprous. Seeing the earth open up as the sons of Korah said, who do you think you are? He's been through battle after battle after battle carrying this people right the way through. This is now Joshua, there's a land ahead of you. There's a river to cross. There are walled cities, walled up to heaven. There are giants in the land. I think you better be strong. That's the word that comes, be strong. That's a word to the upcoming generation in the Bible. Moses is saying, come on, you're going to have to be strong to carry this further. We've been through some battles to get this far. Or if you look at David, David's word, to his son Solomon is, Solomon, now be strong and very courageous. That's the word given to him. Why? Well, Solomon's leadership is going to be contested. He's going to go through battles. There's a temple to build. There's an amazing vision ahead. What does David know about battles? Well, he knew what it was like to have Saul's spear hurled at him. He knew what it was to have to flee, to hide in the rocks, to be in the caves. He knew what it was when Absalom, his dear son, turned against him. He's been through some battles, this guy. And he turns to him and says, Now, come on, you're going to have to be strong, Solomon, to get the next phase. You must be strong. Paul to Timothy. There it is again. As Paul is preparing this next generation leader, Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. But Paul has got the marks of Jesus Christ in himself. We're not talking about stigmata here. We're talking about wounds and beatings that he's been through. The battles that he's endured. Timothy, get ready for next generation. Fierce wolves will move in. All kinds of problems are going to happen. 
Timothy, you're going to have to fight for the doctrine. There's going to be all kinds of people with itching ears. They'll be after this phase and that thing. Timothy, get very clear. Make yourself clear on what the truth is. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who correctly handles the word of God. You may not be ashamed. Timothy, get ready. Next to your second generation, get ready for many a battle. So this is a very timely word for us as we're talking transition. There's got to have to be strength as we speak to the next generation. There are battles ahead. Much ground has been gained. Moses could say that. David could say that. Paul could say that. But wow, what's ahead? It's Paul's writing here from prison. What lies ahead? Nation after nation, continent after continent, the whole world. You're going to have to be strong to go into the battle. This is the word that's coming here. Be strong. Before we start talking, if you like, about the weaponry and the armor, again, just to underline, everything that's gone before in the epistle is going to teach us about even the pieces of armor. It's no good just saying, well, I'm praying that you might be strengthened. I'm saying, now you've got to be strengthened. It's not just a theory. It has to be practiced. You have to learn how to do it, how to live in the strength that God provides. We are battling against what we just read, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Ronald Dunn said the Christian is against something and something is against the Christian. As believers, we are the objects of organized assaults by unseen forces, a hierarchy of invisible powers in rebellion against God. Spiritual forces in heavenly places. But it's fascinating to see the armor, that the armor that is provided shows us where the battle is fought. And actually it's on turf we're familiar with. It's about a breastplate, it's about a shield, it's about a sword. You don't have to ascend into some weird place to get involved in this warfare. The weapons are on the ground in our hands, in real issues, as we're going to see as we work through. We don't need to get into mystical heights. We need to be armed for ground warfare, as God has equipped us with the warfare. But before we come into these pieces of armor, there is this call, be strong. It's really a call to morale. Have good morale before you get into the battle. It's possible to go past this early phrase, be strong, and just right now take the armor, and actually you can get in quite defensive mode. It's like circle the wagons and hold the fort. It's all, watch out. And then Paul is saying initially, I'll be strong. It's about putting on your strength, first of all. It's about having a good attitude. It's about morale. Confidence is a big thing. You ask the British, or English, I should say, soccer team. Having confidence changes the thing altogether. You just don't play to your strengths without confidence. And here Paul is saying, no, no, come on, be strong. I want you to be strong. I want you to have that kind of an attitude. In fact, he's kind of reminding them, come on, this is, I'm writing to you as soldiers, I'm not writing to you as uh, injured people. I'm writing to you as ready for warfare. It reminds you somewhat of Isaiah 52, the first couple of verses. Awake, awake, clothe yourselves in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourselves in your beautiful garments. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, loose yourself from the chains around your neck. There's a kind of call. Come on, recognize who you are. That's what Isaiah is saying. Come on, you're the called of God. You're, you're the people of God. Don't live in the dust. Don't live in, the, in chains. Shake them off. That's what's being said there. And it's similar here. Be strong. He's writing to, if you like, he's writing to the saints. I'd like to just take a moment and say he's not writing to the sinners. Okay? It's very important for us to understand this. That as believers, God calls us saints. Too often I meet with people who want to appeal to the fact that, well, actually we feel we're still sinners, preeminently sinners. We're just one sinner telling another sinner how to find God. But God says, no, that's not how it really is. God has made you into a new creation. This is coming at the end of this magnificent epistle where he said, no, you used to be far off. You used to be godless. You used to be hopeless. You used to not know a Messiah was coming. Now you've been brought near. 
Once you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. It's not just talking about your conduct. It's not to try to do this and be better and try and do some good stuff. He's saying, no, 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 this is your identity. You used to be darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. That's who you are. I'm writing to you then as children of the light. It's your new identity. It's rather like Jesus said, you know, you're either an old tree, a bad tree producing bad fruit, or you're a good tree producing good fruit. That's what Jesus said. And so many Christians want to say, well, actually, I'm still a bad tree. That's my problem. I'm still a bad tree. I'm still trying to tie some fruit onto the branches. No, no, when you're born again, you have a new identity with life that flows from within, with this new disposition that God has imparted to you. We have battles, as we're seeing. But he's writing to soldiers. He's writing to people who are now the light of the world. We are God's blessing to the nations. And he's writing to us, be strong. Within this new identity, I've been spending pages writing to you about that you were nowhere. Now, now you're light in the Lord. Now you're new creation. Now, whereas you used to be nothing, you're into something glorious. And so he's saying, now stand and be aware of who you are. So be good soldiers. As soldiers, don't be surprised at warfare. I think sometimes we're shocked when we hit bad days. Sometimes pastorally we're involved with people who are kind of shocked when they hit problems. And Peter writes, don't be surprised at the fiery trial as though some strange thing were happening to you. See, that's our problem, that we think, well, I've found, I've found a life of happiness. I've found the secret of happiness. You've also found a life where you have to wear armor every day. You've got the secret of happiness and a life that requires armor. Because you are in a battle. Don't be surprised. It's rather like climbing into the boxing ring with Mike Tyson and saying, he hit me. <laughs> you want to say, you're lucky he didn't bite your ear off. He's hostile. He's, don't be surprised. It's the sense of shock that sometimes throws us and puts us out of military motivation, military stance. And too quickly we throw in the towel. Too quickly we say, oh, I don't know what's happening to me. I, I don't feel I have the Lord. I feel I've lost him. And, and we get into negative mode far too quickly. Don't be surprised. Ben Witherington III, what a great name to celebrate... He's a great commentator, actually, but that's a great name, isn't it? Ben Witherington III. I'd like a name like that. Anyway, he says it's present, continuous, and it says stop being regularly surprised. Don't be surprised. No, present, continuous. Stop being regularly surprised. He misrepresented me. You should say, again. Again. You know, when you look back over the years, you think, yes. Misrepresented, yes. A decade ago, yes. Another decade ago, yes. Written against, yes. Are we surprised? No, it goes with the battle. But he's not saying, I didn't say that. Yeah, that's part of the battle. He hit me, yes. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be taken out by just the shocking nature of it. We're in conflict. Paul's writing and saying, now be strong. There are battles that are inevitable. We are in a battle. In fact, we're in the battle. The historic battle. The coming in of the rule and kingdom of God. The whole world lies in the evil one. We are bringing in the kingdom. As Scott was bringing us so powerfully in that opening session. We are invading nations and cultures with another culture. We're saying there's another king, Jesus. So we're going to hit backlash. Surprising backlash. Don't be surprised at the backlash. We are in a battle. It's that mixture of kind of warfare and peace terms that makes things strange. It's rather like in Wooten Bassett High Street when we see these soldiers coming back in coffins from Afghanistan. It all seems so... Oh, there's Tesco's and Sainsbury's and these dead soldiers and it doesn't fit. And we kind of... No, it's conflict. 
In Afghanistan, it's life and death. And just suddenly bring it back to the social scene. You think, oh, that's sort of shocking. And of course it's shocking. It's horrific. But we need to understand we are in real, real battle. I've been reading again. I read a, dipped into a book on the Chinese martyrs. And again, just leave one family after another family. Literally laying down their lives. I read recently about a guy called Armando Valadares, who was 22 years a prisoner of the Castro regime in Cuba. He came to Christ through Christians being executed and shouting, Long live Christ the King! Down with communism! And he heard these one after another, and they shouted that before they were executed. He got saved on that. And it says in 1963, those executed were gagged because the jailers were so scared of their shouts. We're in battle. It's very real conflict. conflict. And as, as Christendom is fading in our nation, something that kind of protected the church, a kind of acceptance, well, of course, Christian values. We know we're not all living up to them, but we essentially embrace them, we respect them. And that provided a kind of cushion of protection to the church as that is removed more and more, more and more nations, certainly here in the UK. Hostility will be more harsh. The battle will become more fierce as these realities come to the surface. But we mustn't be shocked when the fiery arrows come. And they'll come into all sorts of settings. They'll come into our domestic scene. They'll suddenly be in your marriage. We're being hit. And you'll hear people saying, well, when we fell in love, I thought, I thought his, his bright unorthodoxy, I thought, oh, what a great guy. There's something about him. He's so exciting. Now I'm married to him. It's his impulsive ways dealing with our money. Bright unorthodox has now become irresponsible. Or she was so together, so sharp. Now she's swamping me with detail and everything has to be written down. Hey, we thought we loved one another. What's happening? And suddenly, hey, we're being hit. And we've been attacked. Our very marriage is being attacked. Or maybe in our church life, we've gone on a church plant. We, We moved and suddenly, ah. There's conflict even in the little group. Someone's sick even in the little group. How often we see that, that the little initial group gets hit quite hard. This birth of a new baby, as in the Bible, when Moses is born, the slaughter of the children. When Jesus is born, the slaughter is attack on this young baby coming to birth. Very often. We're not to be shocked. We're to be realizing that that's part of the battle. That's part of the conflict. It invades our home life. It invades, invades our church life. It can invade your work situation. Where suddenly you've got a new boss. Suddenly the expectations of the firm change. Suddenly, hey, it's unpleasant. What's happening to me? And we can feel the pressure on our daily round. It's just tough. Suddenly it's tough. What the Bible here calls the evil day is tough. We feel the pressure's on and we get hit really hard. Even unemployment, prolonged. We think, what's going on here? Where is God? Now, we're not to be shocked and secondly, we're not to be frightened by the warfare. Fear can really cripple you. If you give in to fear, it's one of Satan's greatest weapons. It's what kept Israel back from promise that getting into the promised land originally there's we can't do it we haven't got we haven't got what it takes and often people hit that kind of thing where they're they're really questioning i'm not sure that i've got what it takes to live this christian life to be a leader i've been asked to do this i've taken on this role i'm called an elder but oh i'm or maybe i'm an elder's wife but what is she doing i'm not sure i can and and, and fear can begin to grip you. And, and sometimes Satan is so cunning, he comes around as almost as though, as though God himself were accusing you. And it's a, a deceitful while of Satan to, to put you down, to let fear grow up in your heart. I can't produce what God wants of me. I haven't got what it takes. And Satan can really corner people and terrify them in sense of inadequacy. I can't do it. God is asking more of me than I can do. 
And so we must beware as soldiers. We must beware that we're not shocked. We must beware we're not scared. We mustn't entertain thoughts of defeat. Even in marriage these days, people are signing prenuptial agreements. If this doesn't work, we'll back out. What's your exit strategy if this doesn't work? One of the famous things about Field Marshal Montgomery was when he went to North Africa, he said, here we stay. There's no more retreat. We either win or we die. We are not withdrawing from here. And the scripture is saying, oh, come, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Stand ground. God is looking for us to be strong. That's how it starts. Have that morale. Have your head lifted. Get ready. And then he's going to say, now put on weaponry. But it's important that we put on armor from a positive perspective. Right? So, so first of all, let's be strong. Let's understand that's what God is expecting of us. But let me take you secondly then as a main second heading. It's not actually be strong in yourself. It is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's very important we see it like this. We must understand when Paul was writing, one of the most popular philosophies of his day were, were the Stoics who made a whole thing about being strong in yourself. And we might think that, that we're just saying, come on, get your act together. British stiff upper lip, just keep pressing on. Just don't uh, acknowledge it. No, no, it's not saying that. It's saying be strong in the Lord. And in fact... The word is saying, be strengthened in the Lord. That is the more accurate translation of what is being said here. Be strengthened in the Lord. Now, this is hugely, hugely important for us. Otherwise, it's like a horrible voice that comes to you. Come on, stand on your feet. What's wrong with you? And that's not really going to help us a lot. That's not a grace message. That's not a gospel message. It's not dare to be a Daniel. It's not, come on, be another David. The gospel comes right to us where we are and says, now be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strengthened. It's difficult because it's a, it's a passive imperative. It's like in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. It's easy to obey um, an active imperative, like be quiet. Okay, I can do that. That's an imperative. Be quiet. Stop. But be filled. Be strengthened. How do you do that? How do you obey an imperative that is passive? Be strengthened. How? Well, let's remember some of the scriptures that give us keys to this. Psalm 46 says this. Be still and know that I am God. That's a wonderful command. It's a wonderful psalm to stumble on in your devotions when you're going through a tough patch. Be still and know. This is going to give us some of the keys, dear friends, to how to be strengthened in the Lord. How do you do that? How do you actually get strengthened? Well, listen to these verses. Be still and know that I am God. In the margin of the NASB, it says, relax, he's striving. Actually, it says, enough. Enough. Stop. It's the same word that was used when Samuel went to Saul, and Saul was explaining to Samuel why he'd not done this and not done that, and he's coming out with all these excuses, and, and Samuel cuts through it all and says, enough. God is saying to us, enough. Be still. And no, I am God. Know it. Know it in your heart. That's what it means to be strengthened in the Lord. Whether Paul's in prison or in this situation or that, be still and know I am God. With all that that means, that's not just a religious phrase. It's the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's the creator of the whole universe is saying, I'm on your side. Now, come on, stop for a while. Stop all your striving, all your endeavoring. Be still. Be still and know. Well, we know what? That, well, I am in charge, actually. 
I am sovereign. I am making things work out. I am committed to you unchangeably. And dear friends, you can't skip over those things. You need to kind of let them pour into your inner man. How do we go the long journey? How does Moses keep going year in, year out, decade in, decade in? How did David keep going through the hounding of Saul, the heartbreak of Absalom? How do you keep going? How, does he, how do you do this? How did Paul do it? I think God just found some very strong people. No, he didn't. He found some people who found out how you draw down the availability of the energy of God into your little life. And dear friends, if we're going to reach our goals, if we're going to plant our hundreds of churches, invade nation after nation, dear friends, that we need in our home, in our lives, in our personal life, to know how to sit, stand back. You've got to do it. In order to be strengthened, otherwise you just get busy, 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 I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, and you don't, you forget in your heart, he's God. He's enough, he's in power, he's on my side, I'm on his side. And it changes everything. It, it takes away the anxiety, the drivenness, the getting worn outness. You may have a very, very busy program, but God is empowering you on a daily, renewing basis. Your outer man's fading, your inner man's being renewed every day. It's being strengthened. You have to stop sometimes. You have to let God say, now be still. I am God. Enough of your busyness. Be aware, I'm enough for you. It's not like the Stoic that says, no, I have no needs. I'm perfectly capable. I can do it all myself. No, 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 God's chosen the weak things. He hasn't chosen people who've got real stoical, oh, he's very gifted, yeah, he's got it, willpower, very influential. No, no, God chooses random people. And wants us to understand it's exposure to this strengthening God. That keeps us going year in, year out. Pressing through battle after battle. Know that I'm God. The things that we know that set us free. Jesus said you'll know the truth. The truth will free you. There's a verse we often quote. God makes all things work together for good. For those that love God are called according to his purpose. God makes all things work together for good. But I left out the first two words of the verse. We know. We know. It's knowing it that gives the verse color, power, influence in your emotions. We know it. If you read the story of Joseph, I've been looking at the story of Joseph again in my own reading and just saying, I mean, what a life. He sees a vision, he has a revelation, he's a little bit uh, adolescent about the way he shares it, makes some enemies of his own brothers, and they, out of envy, we're told, sell him. They're going to kill him. Out of envy, they sell him. He gets down into Potiphar's home, acts with total integrity. Potiphar's wife throws herself at him makes sexual advances towards him. I mean, the man is pure, utterly pure. Your husband's withheld nothing from me, only you. He's made me in charge of this, in charge of that. I mean, the guy is pure. She lies against him. He's thrown out, thrown into prison. You think, God, this guy's life, what a mess. What a terrible mess. They treated me so shabbily. She totally lied. She ruined my character. I'm in prison. No, no, no. What is happening? Actually, Joseph is systematically moving from one situation to the next to bring him to where God wants him to be. Isn't it true? When, when Sarah has the dream, he's just right there. What has moved him there? What has moved him there is the sin of his brothers, the sin of Potiphar's wife. What made it work? Sin, sin. What actually was happening? God was moving from place to place. See, be strengthened. Oh, they spoke against me. That church down the road. That guy, he spoke against me. Oh, this is terrible. Well, what are you? Are you at the mercy of other people's sin or are you the apple of his eye? 
It's God saying, I want him there. He said, well, he shut this door. He said, oh, that, that guy spoke against me. I couldn't go through. Hey, well, yes, so. We know that all things work together for good. That's what it is to be strengthened in your relationship with the God who runs the universe. We don't live in a little vacuum. So he was unkind. She was really rude. She spo- no, you say, God, what, what are you doing here? What is your purpose? Are you closing this door to me? But it hurts. Yeah, okay, it hurts. But it's getting you to where God wants you to be. And as soldiers, dear friends, we have to take the knocks and look for the king. Say, okay, that was bad, that hurt, but God, are you leading me to say, how did God want, how's God going to get him from Canaan to run Egypt? God uses the sins of people. He just lets them be themselves. He doesn't force them to sin. They're just being themselves. And it's bringing Joseph to where he wants to be. Difference, we lose or win battles either by looking at secondary courses and getting offended and hurt and throw the towel in or to say, God, I will be strengthened in my thought life about how I read this situation that is so painful to me. I'm not going to allow this to be the whole story. Maybe you're doing something in my life. Maybe you're moving me on. I'm looking to you, Lord. Will you do that? See, dear friends, we've got to mature up into being sons of God. And say, God is in charge. I have to be strengthened, not by stoical, you know, learn a few chanted verses, but knowing, no, God is running things. God is making things work together for good. Really, see, it's no good being a kind of reformed theologian if you don't take this on board. One of my chief problems when I first saw Calvinistic theology was most of the Calvinists I met were the most miserable and nervous people I'd ever met. And they should have been secure. They should have said, no, God is ruling. God is on the throne. It should have brought them huge security in the battle of life. Not be nervous, frightened people. That's what's being strengthened with might. No, God is over this thing. And taking real advantage of that in the way we observe the various things that happen in our lives. And so, yes, so what's happening in my job? Has it become so unpleasant? But instead of saying, why is, is it, God, are you wanting me to move on? Is this you? Are you moving me? Is it you who's loosening my roots? Is it you, Lord? What, what, what have you got for me? See, difference, that's how we gain benefit from knowing God. And he being our father, ordering our steps. We apply those situations into our life situation. We say, Lord, you are doing this. You are, Lord, you're in charge. So we get strengthened with might by him in our inner being. We gain strength, not like the Stoics. The Stoics are not looking for anything outside of themselves. They're just saying, well, I mustn't show weakness. I must keep going. It's rather like Paul. He says, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet him. And three times he besought the Lord to take take this away from me. Now, Stoics don't do that. Stoics grin and bear the thorn in the flesh. I've got a thorn. I don't even acknowledge it. I have no thorn. I have no thorn. <laughs> That's what they say. They say, I don't believe in thorns. I'm, you know, I'm doing fine. I, I'm complete in myself. All is well. Paul wasn't like that. He said, God, get rid of this. He's no stoic. He says three times he sought the Lord. And I'm sure that doesn't mean on three occasions, oh Lord, please. I believe it probably means three times. Who knows? Prayer, fasting, going after God. He's talking about three cries out to God. I am no stoic. Get this off my back. But it's interesting to see what happened. He cried for God to deliver him. But he said, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is perfected in your weakness. Strength is perfected in weakness. What does it mean? Hey, soldiers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Come on, pull yourself up. No, no, Paul is the one writing. Paul is the chief soldier. 
chiefest of him, what a soldier. And he's saying, God, get rid of this. I hate this. I hate what it does to my life. And in the midst of that, he said to me. That's the phrase I underlined in my Bible. Not just a verse to quote, my grace is sufficient. No, he said to me. Ah, oh, this is where it comes from. This is where it comes from. He spoke to me. Ah, oh, that's what's being strengthened in the Lord. And the power. He said to me, my grace is sufficient. So Paul says, oh, glory in my weakness. I boasted it. So that the glory of God can rest upon me. So when people are, you're feeling like, can I keep up with them? I mean, she's so impressive and I'm the pastor's wife. I mean, I don't know if I can do it like she can. I don't, she hears God, I don't. And, and, well, how do I keep up? I feel cut off. I've got to somehow get myself together. No, you haven't. You've got to call on God and hear him speak to you. And say, my strength is perfected in weakness. I love you. I called you. I chose you. I give you strength. So Paul celebrates his weakness. This is the wonder, dear friends, of Christian strength. It's not pulling ourselves together. Again, you'll find in Daniel 10, just in the Old Testament, Daniel 10, 19, when he's seeking God and fasting, that lovely phrase, Oh man of high esteem, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage. Be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, you have strengthened me. See, dear friends, we can keep going for years if you'll keep strengthening us. If you'll keep saying, my grace is enough, my grace is enough, you can keep going forever and ever. If you think, I've got to do better than this, I must pull myself together, you're going to run out. You're going to have a nervous breakdown. Paul says, I have learned the secret. Philippians 4.12. I've learned the secret. I'm well content with weakness. I've learned to be content. That's quite funny, actually, because Paul uses the kind of technical phrase, actually. He uses a a quite well-known technical phrase associated with the mystery mystery religions where you are are uh, taught... Uh, mystery religions of those days, things like Stoicism and other philosophies and religions, and you, you learned the technique. And he said, I have learned. It's funny, he kind of borrows their phrase. But he's saying, I am, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned how to do it. And then he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We often think of a verse like that, and one tends to think about amazing ministries, you know, power, signs, and God help us to have such things. But the verse that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is not about external powerful ministry, it's about coping with pressure. That's the context of it. It's, I've learned to do this, I've learned to do that. In fact, I can do all things through Christ. I've gained strength. I'm being strengthened by his spirit Within me. You think of some of the pressures Paul goes through. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and on, he says, Far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. Frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles. This guy might know a bit about pressure. A day and a night in the deep. It's the verse I often think of when I'm on an extended delay at an airport. I think, at least I'm not a day and a night in the deep. You can feel you're kind of out there and a bit vulnerable, but nothing like Paul. And he's saying, no, no, I've learned. I've learned. The secret of being content. And people would queue up outside here, really, if they honestly believed that Christianity is not some moral thing where you push, hey, you have to do this stuff, go to church, and do, imposed a lot of guilt on them, imposed a lot of rules. If they really understood, we've found the secret. 
of being content. I think, wow, where do you get that? Paul's great claim, and it's not one that's untested, it's tested. He, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's fellowship and communion with Christ. Now it's very important that we distinguish between being united with him and, uh, and declared righteous as a gift and enjoying communion with him. These are two different things and you need to keep them clear. I've just been uh, reading, we'll recommend at some point here, John Owen's book on, called Communion with the Triune God. And he got a wonderful section on, on union and communion with Jesus. And he's saying, no, no, your union with Jesus, his righteousness having been given to you forever, is always the basis of your relationship with him. You don't have your relationship based on how much you've enjoyed his fellowship. Because if you don't have a good time of enjoying fellowship with him for a season, you can get condemned and lose your way. No, no, you always stand on, Jesus is my righteousness forever. God has exhausted his pure and holy wrath on his son as regards the saints of God. They are righteous forever. Hallelujah. And we stand there. We never move from there. That is our relationship with God. It's complete in him. Every day we can rise, even if we haven't had a long extended time of fellowship with him, we can say, thank you, Lord, this morning. You are my righteousness. And you're the same yesterday, today, forever and ever and ever. You're my righteousness. Hallelujah. That's union with Christ. It's something Jesus looked forward to through eternal ages to have fellowship with his saints. But having union with him, we can then go on to have communion with him. To talk to him, let him talk to you. To fellowship, to let the scriptures speak into your heart, to sing songs, to say only you can meet my deepest longing. Only you can breathe in me new life. Only you can fill my mouth with laughter. Only you can answer my heart's cry. Not just when we're in the meeting and someone starts it, but just daily in your home. Lord, you're my life, you're my joy, you're the one I come to. It's communion with him. That's how we get strengthened with might in the inner man. Fellowshipping with Jesus. He's the saviour. He came to save you, to save you from fear and the battle and the hurts and the wounds and the painful things people say and the way it turned out and the sickness and the, we didn't expect this and how do we get through? Well, put yourself together. No, not that as well. And get in church and read your Bible. No, no, I've got to get strength from him. Doesn't he save? Yes, he does. Fellowship with him, he saves you. He'll save you again tomorrow and the next day. Salvation is a huge thing. He saved me back in the 50s. He's been saving me daily ever since. And one day he'll save us when he presents us to himself in glory. But we need to be daily, continually, repeatedly saved. And when things go wrong, you think, well, why did this not happen? Why? This is so painful and it's so prolonged. You need to keep on being saved from it all the time, deriving Benefits from Jesus. Keep drawing near. C.H. Spurgeon said this. I must take care to cultivate communion with Christ. For though that can never be the basis of my peace, mark that, he says, yet it will be the channel of it. Now he was a great reader of John Owen. I wonder if that's where he got it from because it's so full in Owen, page after page of it. And he says it in one succinct Spurgeonic sentence. He says, I must take care to cultivate communion with Christ, for though this can never be the basis, this is so insightful, it's never the basis of my peace, mark that. Why isn't it? Well, because the righteousness of Christ is the basis of my peace. Therefore, by being justified by faith, I have peace with God. I may not have had amazing experience of communion for a little while. Am I losing my peace? No, 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 that's not my basis of peace. His righteousness is my basis of peace. And so he says, though it can never be the basis of my peace, mark that, yet it will be the channel of it. It will be my enjoyment of it. It will be the way I'm experiencing it. Be strengthened by the Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. Be 
strength. Right, soldiers, be strengthened. That's the word of the Lord. So the upcoming generation, learn to cultivate relationship with him. Draw down the strength of God. Download it into your spirit regularly, continuously. Stay in the vine. Keep being strengthened. And then lastly, we've said, be strong. It's a kind of transition word, Moses to Joshua and so on. Be strong, come on, be strong. Secondly, we've said, no, no, it's be strengthened in the Lord, actually. The power of his might. And then thirdly, briefly, really, I just want to underline, say, well, how do we get hold of this? We must walk by faith into this. We must be strengthened by faith. There has to be a faith element. And I, I thought of this when somebody recently, I was praying for people to be filled with the Spirit in one of our, actually one of our zone meetings in the Brighton Church. And afterwards, a girl came to me and said, I've been filled with the Spirit, but it doesn't seem to have changed my life a lot. I thought it was a very honest and godly approach, real hunger. It made me go away and think. I think, I've got to find answers here. What are the answers here? What is, and that's what made me come back again to Scripture. And I, I felt that God was speaking to me. And really, I felt the approach that was impressed upon me, why are the gospel healings so instructive? What do they teach me? Well, they teach me not only God's compassion and God's power, but they also demonstrate salvation's ability to provide. What do I mean? Well, the cripple is told, arise, stand on your feet. The man with the withered arm is told, stretch forth. Now that, he could say, that's my problem, I can't. And Jesus did it in the crowd. Do you remember it says they were looking at him, see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And he said to this guy, come here. And he stood right in front of everybody, right in the center. He said, now, stretch forth. And he could have said, that's such a cruel thing to say. That's my problem. Or the man who's crippled, rise up. That's a cruel thing to say to a cripple. Unless in the saying of it, there's power. Unless when Jesus says to you, be strong in the strength of God. Dear friends, there's got to be salvation power coming to meet us. Surely that's what the, the, the healings and the miracles of the kingdom are all about. They are displaying and demonstrating that Jesus saves you. He gives you power to do what you couldn't do. You say, well, I, I can't walk away from pornography. I can't do it. I'm locked in. Be loosed. Yeah, I'm trying to be. No, no, I mean be loosed. Be set free. You see, Jesus saves, doesn't he? He says to the ten lepers, go show yourself to the priests. They could have said, why do that? Covered in leprosy. Because it says in the passage, he said to the ten of them, go, show yourself to the priest. Then it says, as they went on their way, they were made whole. Oh my word. As they went on there, as they, they walked into salvation. They walked into the supernatural dimension. God didn't find a lot of strong extrovert people and say, be the light of the world. He came to weak people like you and me, some of us very entrenched in darkness. Captivated by darkness. Dark, evil habits in our lives, spoiling other people's lives. That he saved us and said, you used to be darkness, now you're light. Now walk into the light. Come on, walk into it. And there has to be, it's the miracle, it's the engagement place where the kingdom breaks in. Where we believe him. We step into the freedom that he provides. We respond with active faith. It's like Joshua was told, step into the Jordan. It says, as he put his foot in the river, as the priests put their feet in the river, it opened. Oh my. I think I'd have had a night of prayer, wouldn't you? Let's pray all night. God, open the river, open the river, open the river. Please open the river. God said, put your foot in it. 
Oh, please open the river, open the river. You see, it's as you go to the end of your abilities. I'm so proud of people. I watched a video the other day, one of our young guys on the streets praying for the sick. I'm so proud of him. I thought, oh, wonderful. It's going to the, it's taking what you can't do and then stepping into what he can do and moving into the kingdom of God, the victory of God. That's, that's how do we overcome? We, we engage with him. We walk into this life. We believe him. We're strengthened by him. We do what we couldn't do before because while the kingdom is with us, it's the location for engagement with the kingdom. And the miracles show us that. That when Jesus says, stretch forth, hey, I can, I can, I can. When Jesus says, stop lying, stop using dirty language, stop being double-minded, I can, I can. You were darkness, now you're light. Be a soldier, be strengthened with might. Or is it just the extroverts who do it and the rest of us are in the shadows? He's calling us all forth. Come on, stand. Three times that phrase comes in this short passage. Stand, stand, stand. Enter into it. Jesus said to the disciples, you feed them. Huh? We've got loaves and fishes. Feed them. Oh. And step into my kingdom. Even Peter on the boat, seeing Jesus walking in another dimension. If it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Now he can do it. Now he can walk it in a new way. And he had to step into it. He had to walk into it. He didn't get carried into it. He stepped into a new kind of life. As we go out to the heathen, and dear friends, it's not like when Billy Graham was here, when people were slightly, mildly, you know, respectable. Oh, I just didn't. It's people are in real problems. They're in drugs and all kinds of wickedness. If the gospel doesn't work, if it's just nice, nice people who can make a little switch, you read about Whitfields, you read about the Salvation Army, you read about when the culture was far from God and being born again changed people. Now live it out. Be part of the Sally Army. Be soldiers. Be in Whitfield's group. Be in Wesley's group. Let's turn a nation. Be strong. In the gospel, in the power of his might. Even when we have terrible, sad setbacks. Just looking at Joshua, you see, yeah, they walk around. I mean, the courage the guy shows. Going around Jericho. He says, be silent. Seven days, don't say a word. Be silent, be silent. I, you think about it, you think, boy, Moses, you'd be proud of this boy. Moses said to Joshua, be strong. You think, he says, no, don't speak. Hold. And then the next day, don't speak. Next day, don't speak. On the seventh day, you're going around seven times. You think, wow, Joshua. And then, and then he says, on the seventh day, he says, shout, for the Lord has given it to us. He says it's walled up to heaven. No one could go in and out. He shouts. The Lord's given it. I think, oh, Moses, you'd be proud of this boy. Be strong. And they take it. And I love that phrase, Hebrews 11, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Then the battle of Ai comes and set back. And he goes after God. God, why, why, why? And he gets the answer. And they sort out the problem. And then you get this wonderful, I think it's so encouraging and instructive. God says to him a second time. It's in my Bible reading this morning. So he says, be strong, be strong. Again. Why? But we just had a setback. We lost that battle. We're in shame. Now get on your feet and be strong. You mean we're not losers? No, you're soldiers. We didn't just lose our identity? No, you didn't lose your identity. Now stand up again. Here is the way we're going to win this battle. And Joshua is just as strong with the people. Do it this way, this way, this way. When I say shout, when I raise up the javelin, turn, do this, and the God will give them to you. And he does. They stay in faith. They get back into faith after a setback. Dear friends, if we're going to be strong, we must learn to do that. You get back into faith after a setback. 
You don't throw in the towel. You don't say, oh, it doesn't work for me. You say, no, I'm going to stand. I'm going to walk. I'm going to step into the strength that he provides. Amen? Brothers and sisters, we're at such an exciting stage. I said here last year, we're approaching the end of the beginning. What's lying before us? Nation after nation. The whole of mobilized here. The new day behind you. And among the nations, equivalent conferences, generations, people reaching out. What's before us? What's going to happen in the next 10 years? But we must teach people, be strong. Be strong. What? Because I've got that personality. No, no, no. In the strength. His mighty strength. That's available. We can step into it. We can learn how to walk in it. I'd like to pray. We thank you, Lord, for what William Scorgel called the life of God in the soul of a man. Lord, we want to live that out. So I was praying this morning. I just felt I wanted to finish this meeting by asking you just to take a few moments to reflect on what we've been saying. And then I just want to invite you in your time when you feel, yes, Lord, I really mean this. I want to invite you to stand, but uh, just wait, please. I'd like it to be a kind of personal response to Jesus. Maybe you've been going through such a tough patch. Maybe you've been really hurt by people, really wounded. Maybe sinned against. Maybe things just didn't turn out the way you thought. Maybe you've come here just longing for something. Maybe you've heard him today. Maybe you feel like the cripple, really. He's saying, arise. He said, well, can I do that? Yes, in my speaking to you, you can. If you are strong in the strength that I provide. If you will be still and know, I'm God. I'm for you. I'm making things work for you. I want to invite you in a moment, just when you're ready. We'll just wait for one another. These afternoon sessions were not quite so tight on time. And I want to pray too for some who feel Oh God, I really do feel I crave this communion with you in a way that I've, I feel I've lost it. Maybe I've never had it. And you say, I just, I would love, I would love someone just to pray over me. I really, I really feel I want renewed fellowship with the Spirit. I covet that so much. I just want a fresh, be filled. I want a fresh encounter. I want a fresh engagement with the strengthening one, with all his tenderness. If that's, if that's for you, if you, well, I feel so wounded by things, I, I just, I would love to be prayed for. So I'm saying two things. I'm saying to all of us, after I've prayed in a moment, I just want to invite you not as it were to stand for the hymn, but stand to Jesus and say, Lord, maybe you're going to say, I've been a bit disappointed with myself, or I don't know what you're going to say, but you'll say, Lord, count me in, I'm standing. I want to be strengthened. That might be many of us. But I'm sure there are those too who are saying, "I, I just need someone. I really, the Bible tells us to pray for one another. And there might be those who say, I just would love to be prayed for. So when I finish praying, would you, if you feel you'd like someone to pray for you, just come straight down, please. Straight down here to the front. We pray for you for a while. 
Father, I thank you so much for your wonderful word. I thank you for this epistle with all its tremendous statements that we are your temple, that we are the new man, that we're part of the new creation, all these great, great truths, the body of Christ. And yet we do realize, Lord, it's, uh, it's all written against the backdrop of conflict and flaming arrows and hardships and setbacks and emotional pain and sometimes a terrible sense of loss and bewilderment and fear. And Father, I want to ask you, please, that you will come by your Spirit afresh. I pray for those whose sails are just flapping and not filled out who just don't feel I'm, I'm caught up in this, I could miss it. Lord, I ask you, would you please, would you please come, refresh and renew. And I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for a fresh personal engagement with truth. I pray, Lord, for a determination to be strengthened in the Lord, in the power of his might, to take advantage of what's available for us all. Lord, as we stand to you, we just say, Lord, I'm, I believe you. I believe you can make me strong. I believe you can make me stand. I believe you can teach me how to walk a new kind of a walk, strengthened by you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Just engage with him. Come, Holy Spirit. Come upon us right now. Dear friends, you, you engage with God as you will. If you'd like to be prayed for, just come forward now. Just slip out of those rows, even from upstairs. Just come on. Let's come and meet with Jesus straight away, day one. Let's not hold back. Let's receive from him. Come now and meet with him afresh. Stand where you are, whatever it is God's saying to you. In your moment, be engaging with God, not just getting on your feet, but saying to God, here I am, Lord, I will stand. I will stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'd be so grateful if pastors, elders, small group leaders and others could mingle and pray with these who are coming forward. Let's try not to block the aisles. Let's move away from the aisles, please, as far as we can. Move into the center, into the wings. Let's just come. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's not disengage. Some of us, are, wherever you are, just say, Lord, I'm going to stand now. I'm re-engaging. Please come and mingle in. Those who are praying for people, would you push through, get to people. Just understand if someone pushes past you to come and pray for people. Loads of people here, please. That's right. Thank you so much. That's great. People are moving in. Let's pray lovingly. Let's pray lovingly. Yes, please. Could we have ladies, women who would come and pray for women? Please don't hold back. There's lots of women here. would love to be prayed for. Many women here who are ready to do that. Please come and push through. We won't overextend this time, but we do want to meet with God, don't we? I know you've come here wanting to meet with God. I know that's why you're here. We, we meet with him in the word. We meet with him by his spirit. Thank you, Jesus.